Welcome back to The Future of Tax, the KPMG podcast series for tax leaders, where we're discussing the role of the tax function towards a circular economy. Last time we looked at what a circular economy is, what is meant by a circular economy taxation framework, explored the different circular economy regulatory trends, and discussed how important it is to keep the tax function close to operations in a rapidly evolving regulatory landscape. We're joined again by Arnold Warricht, Global Circular Economy Lead and Sustainability Partner at KPMG in the Netherlands. Marijn Betjes, ESG Tax Lead also at KPMG in the Netherlands. And Nicole de Jaka, Senior Manager, Global ESG Tax, KPMG International. Thank you all for joining me again today. Great to be back. Hi, glad to be joining again. Looking forward to continuing our discussion. Nicole, taking into account the challenges that you mentioned governments are facing when introducing circular economy policies, is it feasible to expect that tax reforms can effectively enforce a circular economy while maintaining social fairness? In 2019, the ex-tax project undertook a case study in Bangladesh entitled Tax as a Force for Good, aligning tax systems with the SDGs and the inclusive circular economy. The goal of the study was to analyse opportunities and risks of aligning tax policy with the goals of the inclusive circular economy, specifically in low and middle income countries. Now, Bangladesh was chosen as the first case study country as its vulnerability to climate disruption could displace more than 30 million people by 2050. Also, the country has one of the largest gaps between tax revenue and GDP, which means that there is a need to mobilise domestic resources. The study revealed that it's possible to design policies that reduce resource use and harmful emissions, while at the same time stimulating the economy and creating jobs, as well as higher incomes for those who need it most. However, the design of these policies cannot be based on traditional tax models. Currently, most government revenue in most countries comes from taxation on labour income, either directly through income taxes or indirectly through taxes on the consumption of goods and services. At the same time, governments globally generally put low or no taxes on natural resource use, such as carbon emission, fossil fuels and water. And essentially, this leaves resource use unrestrained. So to align tax policy with the goals of the inclusive circular economy and enable such an inclusive circular economy, tax burden should be shifted from labour to resources, meaning that the natural resources and pollution are taxed and that this revenue is then used to lower the burden of the tax burden on labour and increase social spending. And Arnold, what do you think? Well, this is an interesting topic for me as an environmental uh, economist by education, and I fully agree. The tax shift that Nicole uh, mentioned and elaborates on the example is effectively a uh, a way of internalisation of negative external costs that are priced in. So this is a very, I would say, actual uh, topic. Today in the Dutch Financial Times, this X-Tax approach and the strategy behind it uh, got quite some uh, attention. So it shows how we are, let's say, in search of ways to adapt our tax uh, systems to the secular economy and how we should also do that in a way that uh, is not scaring off our business or has a uh, as much as possible neutral effect. So in, in this case, lowering taxation on income and labor and higher burdens for resource use that have also a negative environmental impact. That's something I applaud. A lot of our clients are also experimenting already with this approach, uh, as you could experiment with an internal carbon price. So that's an interesting uh, development. When this 
theory is approached in the right way, it would also lead to shorter returns on investment, I am pretty sure. Because we also see, apart from the uptake of circularity in the corporate domain, we also see a lot of classical business case parameters uh, strand uh, in the sense of too long of a return on investment type, too much complexity in the value chain to organize, the reuse, remanufacturing, or also design for circularity often still strand on short-term economics or lead to clashes with classic sales business models. So here, structural fiscal incentives like my colleagues are pledging also for is a way that might help tip the skills. Marijn, what are the pros and cons of using taxes and fiscal strategies instead of regulation to enforce a circular economy? Under the strategy umbrella, I see three options. And the first one is, is pricing to price behavior that's harmful for the environment. Uh, the second one is incentivize uh, via grants and incentives, via the carrots, uh, to stimulate green investments and to contribute to a circular economy. And the third one is standardization. So make things mandatory, yeah, like a ban on certain virgin plastics. If we look to the first one, to pricing, bring clear price signals via taxation could be a really effective instrument to influence behavior and to achieve the climate goals. But I have to say, if I review the global environmental taxation footprint, often new environmental taxes don't lead to a significant change of behavior due to the fact that the financial burden is too low. So New environmental taxes lead at the moment to a huge compliance burden, but not yet to a financial burden. And this may change in the near future if the tax rates, of course, will increase. But the price signal has to be clear. And in addition, I suggest to look into the VAT landscape and to remove, for example, VAT barriers in terms of resale and to introduce more reduced VAT rates, for example, for repair services. And I think we have to focus more on grants and incentives, tax, but also non-tax. A lot is happening in the US under the Inflation Reduction Act and in the EU. Since earlier this year, there is more possible under the EU temporary crisis and transition framework. Until the end of 2025, the EU countries under this framework are allowed to support with grants and incentives in sectors which are key for the transition to a net zero economy without state aid issues. And finally, due to pillar two, the global minimum tax rate, we are seeing at the moment a shift away from tax-based subsidies towards non-tax-based. And because tax credits could have an impact on your global effective tax rate. Arnold, are there any regions or countries that are at the forefront of introducing such regulations or taxes? Do the regulations in these regions or countries shape the way that other countries approach the circular economy? Let me first zoom out a bit and start with the, the big why. Our current take-make-waste uh, linear model of uh, economic growth, it's, it's quite growth-oriented, uh, of course, is, is not sustainable, eh? not only in environmental terms. Let me give you an example. Up to two-thirds of global greenhouse gas emissions and, and more around 90% of biodiversity loss 
is related directly to material extraction, consumption and wasting of resources. So there is a clear why answer for governments. Uh, it doesn't matter what region or uh, you are in the world to focus on this. But there is also an economic security and inclusion uh, part here to think through the way we produce and consume much more into the loop model. And particularly for those uh, economies that are quite concentrated on raw material and dependent on exports. These regions, mostly in the global south, but also in South America, for example, uh, they suffer more than others from commodity supply shocks. And that leads to the, to the question, of course, what do we see happening in what type of speeds? Well, the EU's experience in furthering the circular economy agenda brings a lot of lessons that can benefit countries with in and beyond Europe's borders. So really showing that material decoupling is possible from uh, economic growth. So producing differently, uh, having the same welfare, but um, with less waste and, uh, and resource use, that's uh, what we see more and more as a target, also for companies to set these type of targets. But it asks quite a far-reaching suite of uh, policies and also incentives, as uh, Marijn already mentioned. Here we see differences, and those differences are not always easy to follow because they are regionally different in some of the EU member states even. The VAT example that Marijn uh, mentioned in Sweden, for example, has much more attention than in uh, my own country, like the Netherlands. So repair activities uh, with a a uh, lower VAT regime is more implemented already in Sweden, uh, which companies then can make use of or and or need to prepare for what's happening in, in competitor fields. So that's that's also something to address in this call um, to uh, as much as possible collaborate on these uh, on these changes from a policymaker perspective. Circular economy is also a concept that usually works best local. So shorter loops in a regional context and also looking at the very specifics around the value chain, for example, just copying EPR, so, so you know, extended producer responsibility schemes on plastics or, or small bottles that work in Northwestern Europe, but really don't work in Southeast Asia or, or, or Africa with a much more informal recycling sector. It's not like we see with climate policies that you can mostly couple, let's say, energy-focused and fuel-focused strategies and, and copy them, but this needs a bit more of a closer look on how value chains operate. And from a corporate perspective, quite long global value chains are hard to turn into shorter loops. That's the experience. So this means for multinational companies, if you are setting your circularity targets, you also need to come up with concepts that work in the regional or national context. So that's not plain sailing here. What we do see is the impact of European policies on our clients with their home base in other countries and continents. Take, for example, an Asian automotive producer that is active in the uh, electric vehicle space. In order to import uh, these vehicles into Europe, the battery directive is something to comply to, which is quite unique to Europe, but applies to the imported products. And this is also uh, coming up with the big uh, wave of disclosure obligations uh, that result out of EU uh, mandatory sustainability reporting. So this is something I, uh, I would like to share with the audience. In the light of the increase in the number of regulations and taxes addressing the circular economy, what should businesses be doing? Arnold, do you want to start? I think the best that companies and businesses can do is uh, don't wait to prepare. So 
my advice is really to avoid surprises in the sense of not knowing what is going on in the regulatory domain. It's it's fast developing, it's dynamic, so there's a lot going on in the same time, and also regionally quite some differences there. So and and specifically when you are active in several jurisdictions, this is uh, something to uh, to start. When it comes to very specific circular economy related policies like the Critical Raw Materials Act, that also requires very deep expertise and knowledge to answer basic questions like where are these materials in my uh, in my products and value chain and are there alternatives or do we need more circularity strategies to keep hold and hatch the risks uh, to to lose them so that is something to work with uh, your own experts and or uh, with outside uh, parties to help you with that and circular economy policies on average have a bit more direct impact on your operationals like take the eco design uh, directive in europe really enforcing to look differently at the way your products are designed and in many cases adapting the uh, design to adhere to circularity principles such as recyclability or additives that you uh, uh, that you put on the market that cannot be recycled that's something that gets more and more into the space of regulation and when it comes to responding to these type of regulatory trends i i think the proactive part is already mentioned but it also involves a lot of different stakeholders in the business, your R&D colleagues, uh, design specialists, and, and of course, the chief operating officer's type of view on how, uh, how to adapt is, is critical. And companies with a high uh, spend to, to revenue ratio also uh, really need to work with CPOs and supplier management to make the change to the circular economy uh, principles. And last but not least, and that's not always easy, but also an exciting uh, development sp- uh, space is the data need. Have strategic insights in what's going on on the circular economy space to react quickly, but also to be uh, a front runner in your market or uh, move a bit quicker than the rest uh, to strategize the change. Marijn, your thoughts? To add from my perspective uh, and mentioned before, tax leaders uh, play a critical role in understanding how the evolving regulatory landscape affects the cost to the business and there may also be funding or tax saving opportunities for businesses that invest in circular economy technologies or practices so exploring whether such opportunities are available to companies is definitely something that they should have on the checklist when strategizing towards the circular economy business models and nicole do you have anything to add as marine said it's important to keep the tax function close Businesses that are looking to transition to the circular economy should review their current tax strategies and determine how these may be affected by such a transition. For instance, what are the tax implications of cross-border circular transactions that involve the export and import of reusable products? How should transfer pricing arrangements be structured for transactions within circular supply chains? Do new tax accounting methods need to be adopted to track the use and consumption of, of resources? So. In a nutshell, it's vitally important for companies to look at their or to review their tax strategies when it comes to circular economy transitions. Thanks, Nicole. And that's a great place to finish our conversation today. On behalf of our listeners, I'd like to thank you, Arnaud and Moraine for joining me on the podcast. Please join us again next time and also email us with any questions you have about today's episode at tax at kpmg.com. We'd also love to hear from you with any suggestions you have for future episodes. Thanks for listening.